This podcast is sponsored by From Idea to Opportunity. From Idea to Opportunity is a self-paced video course that teaches you how to book the talk of your dreams. Are you dreaming of stepping on the red dot but don't have any idea where to start? Or maybe you've applied to conferences and been rejected, but you don't know what's wrong or how to fix it. In From Idea to Opportunity, we teach you the same system we've used with our one-on-one clients for years to put speakers on the world's most prestigious stages. In fact, within just two weeks of launching this course, a student successfully booked the talk of their dreams without ever speaking to us personally. So if you're tired of waiting on the sidelines, watching friends and colleagues deliver the talk of their dreams, wondering when it's going to be your turn, go to bookthetalk.com. Click enroll and start your journey today. That's bookthetalk.com. Go make a dent in the universe. Welcome to Beyond the Red Dot, the show about influential speakers, the talks they gave, the impact they've made, and how you can do it too. I'm your host, Brian Miller, the founder and lead coach at Conquer the Red Dot, where we teach you how to book, write, and deliver the talk of your dreams. I'm joined by my co-host, our Conquer the Red Dot master coach, Lindsay Ray Cohen. Lindsay, what's going on? Who is our guest today? Hi! Today's a good day. We have a really fun guest today and someone with some really poignant things to say. Today's guest is Dr. B. She also goes by Dr. Bridget Cooper, and she is a cage rattler, breakthrough coach, and author of six books on empowerment and change. In 2018, Bridget gave a talk at TEDx Newport entitled The Secret to Making Life Hurt Less. Dr. B, Miss Bridget, welcome to Beyond the Red Dot. Hello. Thank you so much, Lindsay and Brian. It's such a pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. So before we get into your journey itself, I know you've got a pretty cool story that you want to share with us, but tell us the overarching idea of what your talk was about. Yeah, so when I first conceived of the idea, I pitched the actual title differently, and I saw that the need for the topic was so important because of the reaction I got. So it was about forgiveness. And for a lot of people, forgiveness is the worst F word. And so when I would pitch, I was going to talk about forgiveness, people would say to me, I'm not going to listen to your talk. Like that has become such a a, a word that is ripe with meaning and implication for a lot of people that is very difficult. This this kind of landscape of forgiveness is very difficult to traverse, especially from like a religious or from a family orientation. And so I wanted to tackle it differently. So I kind of hid the topic of the talk in the name to make it so that people might look at it when they needed it most. So it was really looking at forgiveness differently because of how I had been pitched forgiveness growing up, it meant letting everything go and hitting a reset button and allowing whatever had happened in the past to have no bearing on my feelings or dynamic with the person who had wronged me. And that just was a get off the hook card for the people who had been the perpetrators of whatever they had done and left me feeling quite powerless. So I approach forgiveness very differently now. And it's it gives you even more of a of a bang for your buck by not allowing those misunderstandings about what forgiveness can be to perpetuate. Yeah, that's so interesting. I've worked with a handful of speakers over the years who are 
either dancing around the topic of forgiveness or go at it directly. And like you said, there's so much baggage around the uh, the concept itself. What what do you find is, I mean, you, you gave us a good overview there, but if you could get really down to it, what's the biggest misconception people have about forgiveness itself? Is it that old thing of we don't move past, but we can move through? Or is it something else? I think it comes from a few places. So I'll I'll touch on a couple. One is that it somehow allows what happened to be okay. That by saying I forgive you, I'm saying that it wasn't such a big deal. And it can be both a very big deal and I can also give forgiveness. One of the the misnomers about it that I think has been tackled a lot in media is that it's not about the other person, it's about you. Well, sure, it is about you and how your own psychological and spiritual health is. But it's also about how do you move forward in relationship or not in relationship with someone who has wronged you. And that's why I call forgiveness oftentimes release, or as my clients call it, forgiveness, because it's forgiveness by Dr. B. So we, we, we rename it. And it's about having boundaries that are appropriate and rules of how deep and how far the other person can come to you once you've let go of the emotional attachment. And that's all in my book, Forgiveness Is, is the recognition that you are facing the uh, the downfall of an unchangeable past. That there's absolutely nothing that you can go back and redo about an experience that you have, and forgiveness is the path forward. That's awesome. So let me ask you, how did you actually get invited to your TED Talk? So I had been nominated by a couple of people to a couple of different events. I believe, if I'm remembering it correctly, I applied directly to TEDx Newport. I had shopped some local uh, TEDx's, and I thought that that would be one that would work best for me from a number of perspectives. So tell me a little bit more about the application process. Did you apply once? Did you have to go through multiple auditions? Let us know, because yeah, this, yeah. this is for, for people who want to book a TED Talk themselves. So, so give us the nitty-gritty. How hard was it to get in? Was it easy? Give it to me. Yeah, I didn't. it didn't feel easy, but it felt straightforward. So I think one of the things, because I've, I've helped people guide them toward doing a TED talk as well. And the whether it's the website or just kind of searching where TED talks happen, that there are TED talks happening all over the world all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's really about how do you find the one that's best suited for your message and your intention. Yeah. And what I was looking for was one that was geographically convenient for me so that I could travel to practices. I could see the site. People who were kind of my fans from the local area could attend. And also, I wanted to have one that had a visual experience that would translate well to tape. And I wanted one where it seemed as though the support structure for the talk itself was going to give a professional package and going to be able to market the talk because so much has to do with how the individual TEDx operator promotes their own work. So I was looking for that. And in terms of the process itself, I, I think I had applied to two maybe three. I'm, memory does not serve me, but I had applied and that was the one that I was most interested in. And I sent the application in the information. It was 
you know, some answering some questions, giving a short tape intro to my idea, some links to my social media accounts. So they kind of got a sense of who I was. And then we had a, a phone call, I believe. And then I was invited to do the talk. And I was on stage maybe eight weeks later, nine weeks later. So a very fast <laughs> process. Yeah, very fast yeah. process. Yeah, it was a quick process. You, you spoke about the support structure, which is this comes up a lot in the conversations we have because it's very different conference to conference. A lot of folks don't realize that these are really, this is a franchise system, essentially. These are independently licensed events that have to adhere to the big TED guidelines, the handful of them, like no self-promotion, no pseudoscience. But other than that, they can pretty much do what they want. And some conferences provide no support Some conferences require you to go through their coaching system, and if you don't do it their way, you're not allowed to do it, and a lot of them are somewhere in the middle. So you worked with a coach, but this was a coach provided by the conference or a few coaches. How did that go? Yeah, so they had a speaking coach. So I'm a coach myself, so it was an interesting process, too, and I teach public speaking, (laughs) you know? Tell me about that. How did you you find that as a coach going through that? (laughs) Um, I think, you know, you're always, as a cook, you're always much more critical of the food you're eating, right? Because you know what went in to to make the, the, the sauce. So I think I was, I was coaching myself and listening to the feedback I was getting from this coach in the context of my own experience and what I had as my kind of direction. I think the most challenging piece was that the content of my speech was highly emotionally triggering. And so I took counsel on how to construct the speech and how to deliver it in a way that would make it impactful, but not push people away you know, as I spoke about it. And I think that was the most kind of challenging thing to 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 moderate. So tell me about that with a talk that is as triggering as yours. And, and for me, it was actually really difficult to listen to parts of it. It, it really hit. Yeah. It, it was hard. Yeah. How did you pick what story to tell and how to tell it on a topic that some of the things that you dug into are pretty deep, pretty hard. And do you feel like you set the audience up to be prepared for that type of conversation? Right. I I think that that was the biggest challenge in putting together the speech itself was trying to, and we had lots of discussions, the, the coordinator and the speaking coach and myself, and I had a, a friend of mine who does writing coaching, so she was helping me with the construction of the speech itself was how do you prepare them? And their feedback to me was, you just tell the story and you just allow people to shut things off as they must. And that, like, because I wanted to put a warning on it. I wanted to do all of these things to take care of them. And I had written a, uh, a autobiography about my experiences, which was very uh, challenging, very, a lot of even deeper and harder to listen to or to read than the talk was. And I put a disclaimer at the beginning of the book to say, if you have had an abuse history, I need you to take a minute. I need you to set up your support structure. I need you to figure out how to practice self-care because this is going to be hard to hear. So I tried to be measured in that and to give enough information without going into excruciating detail in the talk that would allow people to hear it, but not necessarily get consumed by it, if that makes any sense. 
It does. It, it actually leads me to, to a question that I want to ask. Now knowing that you did that for your book and that wasn't the approach that you took to your talk, if you got the chance to deliver your talk again, would you do anything different in the way that you prepared your audience for the content that comes up within it? Yes. Um, I think, and it kind of leads into, I don't know if this is the space for me to tell the story of the talk, but so I had prepared this so much. Like I had practiced this. My dog knew my speech by heart, right? I had practiced it so many times in front of the mirror, in front of the window. I had gone to people's offices, homes. I had spaces that friends had access to in, you know, education settings. And I was giving this talk for a number of reasons. One, to make sure that I had, you know, the recitation uh, down but also to gauge the response because I knew that I wanted to know what people thought about how I came out and said the things that I said. So I knew this thing backwards and forwards and upside down. You could give me three words and I would know exactly where in the speech I was and I would go with it. And that's not been my practice because as a, as a speaker, I do speaking and training I'm usually much more off the cuff. I have a, a framework within something, but I don't, I'm not an actress. So I'm not rehearsing lines. That's not been my, my history. So I got to the event and this is kind of some guidance for people. I was the last person up because basically the curator said, there's no one who can follow you because everyone will be too raw by the end of yours that they're not going to be able to listen to anybody else's with the depth that we want them to listen. So you're going to have to go last. The challenge with that is that when you're at the event and you're, this is an all day event. We started, I was there at, you know, before 8am and we, I went on at five. You're taking on, for me anyway, I was taking on everyone's energy. So people were coming off stage going, oh, I messed that up or, oh, that was so much. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> like you need to step back because I can't take, yeah, like I can't hear you. I can't see you. I can't hear. And I needed to, so I did practice some good self-care. I did excuse myself. I went away. I didn't watch anyone's talk. I want to support them, but like from a distance, but I know that I absorbed a great deal of the energy of that day before I went on. And so I, I knew going in, I was needing to kind of like center myself and I did. And what happened was I got to the stage and I started to give the talk in this very impassioned way. And I got to the point where I said something that was very triggering when I said eight, eight weeks. And you know the part, if you remember the, the speech. Yeah. When I said weeks, I heard in the audience, now this is an audience of like 300 people and we were live streamed around the world. I had friends watching everywhere. I heard a voice in the audience gasp. And I heard it and it was like a trickle through a rock, you know, that starts to create the crack that it just is. And I heard the, the, that gasp and I recognized what you were kind of tipping your hand to, Lindsay, is that I've gone too far. I hurt someone with my information. My story upset someone and I can't change that because the rest of what I have to say is going to be hard too. And it's certainly not getting cheery and easy, right? It's not going any worse than that, but it's certainly not like, and here are all the pretty flowers. And I, I got another maybe 30 seconds after that. And I stopped dead, stopped dead three minutes and 14 seconds into the talk done. I was standing there and I had no words. I couldn't remember where I was in the speech. I couldn't remember what was next. I had nothing. I stood on that stage front and center 28 seconds. 
utter silence. Now I've done this uh, talks about this on stage and I've, and people hear 28 seconds are like 28 seconds. It's less, less than half a minute. When you're sitting in an audience, it's an eternity, right? If you're sitting in the audience, let alone standing on that stage, what I do is I allow the, the room to go quiet. And then I just count one, two, three, and people are squirming in their seats with that much silence, 28 seconds. And I had nothing. I, I still couldn't find any of my words. I couldn't, I, I didn't know where I was. And I looked at the audience and I said, I'll be right back. And I walked off the stage and I walked into the, the, um, the backstage area and everyone was standing back there, like the whole, all, all the speakers, all the support crew. And they were looking at me like I was like a porcupine, right? Like, how do we handle this right here? Like, what, what do we do with her? And I, they said, are you okay? I said, I'm fine. Hand me my speech. And I pointed to the opposite end of the room and they like mosh pitted it across all of the people that were crammed into the small area. I looked at the page. I said, oh, that's where I was. And I handed them back the, the speech. And in the meantime, the MC had gone out and said, technical difficulties. I'm like, technical difficulties? If I'm the technical difficulty. Yeah, that's and right. I walked back out on stage and the audience roared an applause. And I put my hand up and I said, no, like we're not doing that right now. Like this is not what we're doing. And I thought to myself, where was I standing? Where were my feet when I lost all of my words? And I put myself in that position. And I counted one, two beats to give the editor the ability to go in and splice that out. And then I went on. And what I recognized in that were so many, many things. But was I as prepared as I was? I hadn't prepared for that. I had forgotten that I needed to be insulated for that. I had seen people's faces go funny. I had never heard anyone's audio response. And I, be, without having been prepared for that and all of the other things that were kind of coming at me that day, I didn't have that preparation. But what I really thought was beautiful about that moment was that I created a talk within a talk that I never intended to do. Yeah. Because how many people would like walk back out on stage after that? I've never heard that story before. I've never, I, I've heard every version, you know, I mean, a coach speakers for a living, right? I mean, right. I, I've, and I am a professional speaker myself. So like I've heard and experienced, I thought pretty much everything that could quote go wrong. Huh. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a new one, especially during kind of your, your, you know, your one shot, you know, which is what yeah. most people view their TEDx as. Some people do three or four of them, but like most people, this is their moment. Kudos to you for finding yourself and also the professionalism of remembering to count and find where you were and give the editors like, you know, the unsung heroes of things like this, giving them right? the courtesy of things like that. It's so interesting. So I, I can imagine that you obviously give talks or mini presentations or presentations about this. Yeah. Um, now, what is the advice you would give yourself as a speaking coach if you could rewrite that to avoid that or knowing that that was possible? What advice would you give yourself is kind of where I'm curious. I think what I got caught up in, and I would redo this, I would overhaul the entire thing, is that to that point, I have given so many speeches. I have talked about things I'm known as being entertaining, being like gut punch and then cheerful, right? Like I can kind of move through the, okay, I've made you really uncomfortable and now I'm going to make a little light of this. We're going to go to this deep place and then I'm going to pull you back out. And I didn't listen to my gut and I didn't listen to my gut that told me I needed to do the speech in a way that was authentic for me 
not that what someone else thought I should do it like. It stayed heavy during the entire talk, and that was not me. And so it made it harder to ad-lib, because if I had lost my place, if that had happened, I can ad-lib everything when it's who I am as a person. I think what happened was my words triggered other people in the conception of the speech, and they were trying to figure out how to package it, and it wasn't authentically me. So I would have done that very differently. I would have told stories very differently to allow people to be uncomfortable with the information that was in effort to say, if anybody knows how hard forgiveness is, I do, right? Like I'm coming to you as an expert, but I would have been able to also be lighter and, and do that differently. So I, that absolutely. Yeah. I And I get that sense from you. It actually took me by surprise when I was watching it because I don't get the sense that you're the kind of speaker who does that. I get the sense that you, ha- I mean, you're a professional speaker who knows how to be serious, but entertaining, who knows how to say something profound, but also light and, and, and move through the, you know, you know how to do that clearly. And so it actually, when I went to watch it, it surprised me that it stayed that dark and that heavy the whole way through. Right. And so I was curious about that conversation. And it's so interesting you brought up the word authentic because I may have mentioned this previously in an episode of this podcast, but it's something my mentor, the guy who mentored me into the speaking industry from magic into speaking, he talks about this and he calls, uh, his name is Tim David, so I'll give him a shout out. He calls this misplaced authenticity. And I think what's interesting is you were saying that if you had been authentic to you, you would have been more considerate maybe of how the audience was receiving it, which to me is being authentic to you, but also being authentic to the audience. Whereas it sounds like whoever the speaking coach was that was working with you, with I'm sure nothing but good intentions, was trying to have you be authentic to the story right? when you needed to be authentic to the audience. And that means sometimes not telling the story exactly as bad or as detailed or as dark as it actually was, right? right? Like, and I've worked with speakers, I'm sure you've worked with speakers on this too, where sometimes you say, we need to fudge the details of your story a little bit. And they go, but I can't change the details. Say, no, 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 we're not going to change the fundamental story. But you can't tell it exactly as it was because the audience won't be able to get what they need from it. Like, we need to be authentic to the audience. Is that is it yeah. making sense why that came to mind? Oh, absolutely. I think that people have been struck over the years at my story and the people who were coaching me through it were looking for the punch. Yeah. They they wanted the dramatic the punch, the shock, the hit, the hard, the brutal. And although that is me, I can be there. I can sit in that space. I also am all about, you know, kind of laughing about some of the hardest moments and not from a a covering it up, but like, yeah, so, you know, Thanksgiving was fun in my house, if you can imagine. Like, that's what I would have done had I been able to guide it that way. But I kept pushing up. And because I had such a sensitivity, I thought maybe I just don't understand Maybe I'm just not getting how this needs to come off and I need to defer to these experts who have worked with TEDx speakers before who understand the context and the audience. Maybe I need to listen to them. And when I look back, I I wish them no harm. I mean, it's they did what they thought was the best thing for me, but it it definitely created a different experience than the one that I was looking for. 
you know, I really hope that you do the talk again and you do it the way that you want to do it. Because yeah. one of the things that I learned from from Brian, I was I work with him as a master coach now. I was originally his client. Is that sometimes you got to push back against the um, event delivered coaches? Yeah. Because they don't know you and they don't know how you deliver your story. So while most people I say do your TED talk once and that's it, I think you need another one and I think you deserve <laughs> another one. And so let me Thank you. let me or ask something you, like it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right? So let me yeah. ask you, what is the most amazing or unexpected thing that's happened since your talk went live? I think um, I'm going to be honest. I think profound disappointment. I think mm-hmm. so a couple of things um and I say this you know your listeners are looking for like there's this magic bullet sometimes of the TED talk and I think unfortunately even if we we didn't have this conversation everyone's like oh my god I loved how you did that talk and people in the audience people who were there live were like over the moon about the the talk I had people coming up to me I had people calling me so the experience in the room was incredibly intense you know and even on screen for some but when I gave the talk it was March 10th and we were told that the talk would be out in the next subsequent weeks and so I had set up all of these speaking engagements I was doing all this stuff to kind of push and promote. And the talks didn't come out until late August. Yeah. Freaking COVID. No, it wasn't COVID. It was 2018. Oh, So this was 2018. This was just um, volunteer-driven. The first year, they did a better job. This was the second year, and people just weren't as focused. People, they weren't doing what they had set out and promised to do. And so the talk came out, and now all like the the wind in my sails was kind of lower. So I was like, okay, well, I'll start to promote this in the fall. I'll just make it a fall project and just push this out there. And unfortunately, I was in a motor vehicle accident and suffered a traumatic brain injury on August 31st, 2018. And so oh, no. all of those plans, yeah, all of those plans for marketing the talk and getting back behind it and talking more about the talk within the talk were just done. And so Um, I didn't touch it again. I haven't marketed. I haven't put it out there. I haven't mentioned a word. And so what I thought was going to be this boost to talk about the story more, talk about my, you know, autobiography, little landslides, like do all of those things just didn't happen. And everything happens for a reason. But I think that was the most profound thing was just really the disappointment of having worked as hard as I worked and been as excited as I was for this watershed moment and have it not amount to what I had hoped it would. I get that. Like you said, a lot of people think that this is a magic bullet and it certainly can be, um, but there's no guarantee. And I tell people, if you ever want to know if this is a magic bullet, go to the TEDx YouTube channel and reverse sort by view count and just bash your head into a wall for three hours. (laughs) Exactly. Right. I mean, you know, 22 views, 28 views. And, you know, like, I mean, we think TED Talks all get millions and all this stuff. It's like, no, the vast majority of them never see the light of day, just like any other industry. And it's not like yours didn't. I mean, yours had a few thousand people who watched it, which is, by the way, I just want to highlight how amazing that is. Despite all the things you just said and all the things, if you were standing on a stage with 3,000 people in the audience listening to you give a talk, you would freak out. Well, right? No, <laughs> I have done that. But well, yeah, so have I. But yeah. what I'm saying is that's a huge that's a huge deal. It's a lot of people. It is. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, and I appreciate, I do appreciate the people who have viewed it. I am, and I have other talks that I'd like to give in the future, whether they be TEDx or not. So thank you for that. Yeah. It was just, I think it's the expectation, right? We have expectations. Of course. And, and the amount of time, a lot of people don't realize that there can be a huge amount of time between giving the talk and when it actually drops on YouTube and you have no idea and no control. A lot of times your organizers do not know once they send it to Ted out of their hands. Uh, I've had clients whose talks came out in less than two weeks from the conference date and sat on YouTube. We weren't even looking for it yet. We hadn't even done a post-talk strategy call yet. And I've had other clients who they said, oh, it should be out within six to eight weeks. And it took nine months in one case before it came yeah. out. And they were a new person by the time it came out. Right, I mean, exactly. It was like, you, so, like that ship A sailed. new human could have been in the world by the time it came out. Like it was just- <laughs> The TEDx It baby. was just bananas. So we have about one minute left here. Bridget, Dr. B, is there anything you want to leave listeners with? We, you've actually given a lot of super- down-to-earth practical advice already? Is there anything you want to leave us with? I think giving a TEDx talk can be that watershed moment. It can be that thing that turns everything around, and it can just be what it was meant to be. So in that way, I would advise anyone who's looking to do a TEDx talk to be as authentic as clear, as intentional about being generous of spirit with their message, because there's nothing, there's no one else who can give the message in the delivery that they can. So in and of itself, it's a gift. That's fantastic. It's it's like what Brian says to every one of our clients. This is about talking like you, but better. And I hope that you give another talk. I will be there to watch it. I think you have a lot <laughs> to you. say. Yeah. And the person that I got to meet today has so much that they can offer about resilience and about forgiveness. And I, and I hope to see you get out and do it again and own it. And, and don't let anyone talk into anything other than what you want, because you know it. You know it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today. Loved my time. Thank you. Thanks we love so much for having you. Here. Thank you. We'll see you next time on Beyond the Red Dot. I really, really enjoyed that. There was something so just absolutely beautiful about being vulnerable and being honest. And and that's that's what I took away from today. So what about you, Brian? What was your main takeaway from today's podcast? I think the biggest takeaway is where we place our authenticity. Our instinct is to place our authenticity in the story itself. And obviously we need to be authentic to the story, but more importantly, we need to be authentic to the audience. And what that means is we may not need to tell every detail of a story or every detail exactly as it happened if it's going to have a negative impact on the audience's ability to take the main idea away. So we need to be authentic to the audience and to our own gut instinct when it comes to telling our stories and sharing our ideas. I think that's the big takeaway. I absolutely agree. Authenticity and staying true to your message is one of the most important things that you can do and one of the most difficult things that you can do. And with that, I tell you to get out there and make a dent in the universe. This podcast is sponsored by From Idea to Opportunity. From Idea to Opportunity is a self-paced video course that teaches you how to book the talk of your dreams. Are you dreaming of stepping on the red dot but don't have any idea where to start? Or maybe you've applied to conferences and been rejected but you don't know what's wrong or how to fix it. 
In From Idea to Opportunity, we teach you the same system we've used with our one-on-one clients for years to put speakers on the world's most prestigious stages. In fact, within just two weeks of launching this course, a student successfully booked the talk of their dreams without ever speaking to us personally. So if you're tired of waiting on the sidelines, watching friends and colleagues deliver the talk of their dreams, wondering when it's going to be your turn, go to bookthetalk.com. Click enroll and start your journey today. That's bookthetalk.com. Go make a dent in the universe.